Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your god. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in RPG interviews. I am your host and King of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and you will notice that we have significantly upped the production value on here with just a quick graphical package. I finally got off my ass and did it. Anyways... We are, of course, here to have an RPG interview. That is what we do on this show. Uh, So, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to one of the quickest turnaround guests I've ever had in the show history. Even quicker than uh, than Zach Glazer when he came on the show. Uh, This, ladies and gentlemen, as you can see, is John Harper. He is the designer of Blades in the Dark, a very cool-sounding RPG uh, that we are going to talk about this evening. So, John, welcome to Roland Bones. Thanks a lot. Good to be here. Absolutely. Well, John, we are going to uh, to kick this off the way that we always do. I've got these questions everyone gets asked when they come on the show. So uh, let's go ahead and start at the very beginning. How did you get into RPGs? Uh, I got into RPGs when I was about... 10 years old roughly uh gamma world had just come out and um i was not connected to rpgs very much my uncles and cousins played it but um they were sort of the first generation um mid-70s gamers and this was uh sort of early 80s and um a friend of mine had a copy and uh invited me over to play it we played like a solo adventure with with him running it and i was immediately just super hooked by the setting of gamma world and just just the fun of role playing so i i snatched all his books and took them to my dad's office and photocopied a bunch of pages out of them so i could have some of the the mutation tables and sheets and things and Mm -hmm. then started running it for my friends um after that so it just became this like instant love of uh both role-playing and also like DIY uh, RPG stuff, just sort of um, making what we needed, house rules and stuff on the fly. So mm-hmm. it was a combination of the hobby itself and then like a, a real desire to just sort of be creative and make things. And that was a good excuse. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, before we get into the next question, just to let you know what's going on in chat here, uh, looks like Actual Factual has uh, referred to you as good old Speedy John and uh, built upon that with Jiffy John. And then uh, looks like Allison here is, is saying uh, jolly Jiffy John. So that's hello the, friends. Hello friends. Thanks for coming. The progression of nicknames we've got here going on guys. Welcome to the stream. Uh, thank you for tuning in to, to 
you know, see John and, and hear about this game. Uh, so kind of moving on from there, um, of all the games that you've played over the years, what would you say your favorite is? That's a really hard question. Uh, I, I, maybe everybody says this when you ask. <laughs> um, favorites are always really hard. Uh, I, I, I don't think there's a singular favorite, but um, I would say that for me, Talos Lanta and Apocalypse World have been very important uh, to me as a game designer. Um, Talos Lanta is an old game from the 80s. Um, which is still around. Uh, if you want to get it, it's on talislanta.com. You can get all the books for free and stuff. Um, gotcha. But the the designer, the developer of that game uh, became sort of one of my first major mentors um, as, as a game designer and, and publisher. Mm-hmm. So that game um, really helped me learn some design skills and make contacts uh, in the industry. And just, I mean, aside from it being fun and we loved playing it, it was, it was that first stage of sort of like getting into the business side of the hobby and um, starting to tr- treat it seriously as a job. Um, and then Apocalypse World by Vincent Baker and, and McGay Baker uh, was just hugely important for me again as a, as a designer and a player. It, it codified or, or textualized a lot of the things that um, I loved about gaming and put them in a more accessible format that mm-hmm. was more it made it easier for the community to talk about certain things about gm skills which traditionally have been very mushy and hard to talk about succinctly um and uh the the player uh role at the table that game really um i think is a great example of how to um lay out a, a set of goals and objectives and get everyone on the same page even before the first session starts um and that was another really important step uh, as a designer to start thinking about that stuff very seriously the real people at the table their real world concerns of scheduling and time and all of that stuff and starting to treat that as a design space um apocalypse world was a really big really big help for me plus it's just it's arguably my favorite game to play to play as a player uh that and, and burning wheel i would say um i i I can really sink my teeth into it as a player for in both of those games. Yeah, the the accessibility of Apocalypse World is is really one of its major uh, kind of strengths there. In fact, two of my friends, uh, one who I mentioned uh, off air, Keith Patempa, and then uh, Josh Unruh, they've got mm. this thing called the Heroes Guild, where they have basically kind of hacked, uh, powered by the apocalypse, and made a kids rpg that they like run as an after school program that's cool i actually know josh uh i i I didn't know i didn't know you didn't know you knew him that's that's cool small world (laughs) josh josh is uh i call him the terrain master we we all do around the table because he before uh before covid happened we were all playing at his house and uh basically he'd just text me every week and say hey what are we running on the table and i'd you know give him a one sentence or a one to two sentence description, maybe a few other descriptions. And I'd come in and there's just this amazing elaborate set. We're playing in dark sun right now. And one of the best things he ever did was he made an Argosy for the game. And that thing was beautiful. Wow. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I game, I game with Josh every week. Uh, he he cool. is he's a great dude, and I did not know that you knew him. So that's we, cool uh, we got 
we got connected on the internet a long time ago. Uh, we'd been chatting back and forth for many years um, about gaming stuff. So yeah, sweet, <laughs> strange coincidence. Awesome. Cool. Well, when it comes to you know those those early Gamma World days, I know Gamma World's got some crazy combinations that you can put together. Do you remember your first character? Yes, I I was a um, mutated animal. I was a beaver, um, a cyborg beaver. Uh, we would always draw our characters, of course, in our school notebooks and stuff. And I had like a cool cyborg Terminator-y kind of half face cyber eye <laughs> nice. situation. I think I had a robot arm of some kind too. Um, and uh, I had a hoop sidekick, which is a sort of like mutated giant rabbit um that the gm played as my as our like buddy buddy uh action movie characters uh and it was that that was kind of the dynamic it was the hoop character proposing some wild uh scheme that was too big for us and too dangerous and we would get in it over our heads and throw grenades and run away and uh just do that every session basically with no no real adventure plotting of any kind it was kind of just follow the character's from dangerous place to dangerous place. Um, but we had a blast. And uh, especially being disconnected from the oral tradition of, of RPGs at that point, my friend had not played with with our our parents' uh, generation and the first first timers, um, and I hadn't. And we just, the, the books didn't really like tell you exactly what to do. You were supposed to kind of know what role playing was. So we made up a thing that seemed right to us kind of doing movie scene by movie scene. Um, and that culture of play I took as a single person and expanded it into my group of friends and they did the same. And it was a few years before we started to get books like uh, uh, Star Wars D6 and those mm. kind of games that, that were more explicit about like how to do it. And um, we, we kind of started to get back. Our game started to look more like traditional rpgs at that point but yeah initially it was just Cy cyborg beaver running around getting gotcha. into trouble <laughs> gotcha and and tree lamp to to speak to what you're saying there there have been many people on the show who are just like i do i don't remember so it's cool that you remember that first character that you uh you brought to the table there john because uh, so many people are just like um elf Especially like the <laughs> yeah the like first edition and even the the OD and D guys who started out very early on before you know like story was a big part of the game and it was mostly just dungeon crawls they're like I didn't really have a character per se I had human fighter or human wizard or again elf because that was a class yeah I I got to have that experience much later. Um... Because we played, we kind of went from Gamma World to those um, Thank you, Tree Lamp. more fringy type games. Um, I didn't play like real old school dungeon crawl D&D um, in my early formative period. It was kind of from Gamma World to our homebrews, Marvel superheroes. Mm -hmm. um, uh, oh, it was another big one there before. I'm blanking on what we played before, but um, then we had like Shadowrun and Star Wars and uh, mm -hmm. Ghostbusters and that crop of games, Ars Magica and those kind of games were coming out. Uh, and that moved into the 2000s and Vampire and 
all the indie explosion and all that stuff. So it wasn't until I moved in, to Seattle, uh, after I lived in Seattle for a while, actually, I've been here for several years and a friend of mine was like, I want to run like 1977 Dungeons and Dragons. And it's like, yeah, we should definitely do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finally got to have that experience of the, the character who rolled two HP to start. And I gave them a name in the first room of the first dungeon. They died. Uh, and so I just erased the name from their sheet, rerolled their stats and was like, it was basically like fighter number two. Yeah. Um, and it's just it, all of a sudden I was like, oh yeah, now it makes sense. Now I get it. I've I've had the experience now that everyone had, mm-hmm. you know, thirty years ago, twenty years ago. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Now it sounds to me like you pretty much immediately gravitated towards GMing and ended up running a lot of games. Uh, a lot of us who end up being kind of the forever DMs, we have NPCs. That'll travel from game to game. So, John, do you have mm. a forever NPC? Yeah, kind of. Um, I, it's not a particular character. I, I, I don't think, well, yeah, I'm sure people I've played with are like, John, you're forgetting about so-and-so. Um, <laughs> but I definitely have some types that I, go, I fall back on. Um, there's usually some sort of tough roguish foil um that's like the the i I don't forget what the trope is called but like the spike on buffy yeah um the the malcolm reynolds the the han solo the the like the the rogue that may have a heart of gold we would have to see Mm -hmm. uh I, i always like to introduce those characters um as a foil for the heroes if they're playing very righteous people who feel like they're always doing the right thing I like to have that character that kind of calls that into question a little bit, or if they're playing characters that are very ruthless, um, that character can sometimes kind of be like, Hey, maybe you don't be such an asshole. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I, it's kind of a uh, GM's pet type character because that's, that's the character I like to play when I'm a player. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I typically will introduce something like that into, into my games, even, even when I don't intend it. They, they'll they'll probably show up at some point. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Now, how would you describe your uh, your play style, both as a GM and as a player, when you get the chance to to play? Um, I would say pretty freewheeling. Uh, I don't like as a player or as a GM. I don't really like plots and um, uh, narrative structures in my games. I don't necessarily want to play through Act One and have a climax and. You know, the villain, the showdown happens in episode 18 and that kind of stuff. Uh, I've, I've done that sometimes and it has gone well sometimes. Mostly it hasn't really worked for me, but I have had some good experiences doing that kind of thing. But left to my own devices, I'm, I'm much more into more seat of the pants, improvisational, going with the narrative flow, following the characters where their interests lead them. Um, and where the NPC's interests sort of collide against the PC's interests mm-hmm. uh, and, and letting the chips fall where they may and moving on to the next thing, not withholding uh, uh, finales or anything like that. Just kind of being in this freewheeling open play space. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoy that. It's, it, it's a trade-off, you know, you, you don't get those satisfying, like, Oh, after three seasons, we built to this, really awesome narrative thing um you kind of have to let that go but in 
in exchange for that, you get to just play and find out what happens. And every week, uh, just just uh, the other day, I was running Apocalypse World and my partner, I was heading out and she was like, what do you think is going to happen tonight? And I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> the players will do whatever they do. Uh, and it's, I, I, I just, that, that makes me feel good to go into a game session and not know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Actual Factual says this, uh, this game style that you're describing sounds an awful <laughs> lot like this, this indie RPG you played one time called, I think, like Blades in the Dark or something like that. <laughs> Well, that that actual factual is in is in that Apocalypse World game that I ran the other night, uh, and and has played a lot of Blades. So yeah, they know what they're talking about. Absolutely. <laughs> so this question can be very hard for a lot of people because you know people who end up coming on a podcast like this, or myself who ends up having a show like this, we have a lot of great memories associated with gaming. So if you had to pick, like, one kind of standout, fondest RPG memory, what would that be? <laughs> what an easy question. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we, we would be here all night. There are, <laughs> there are so many to, to choose from. Um, I, I could just pick from, from a huge list. Uh, I, I think well actually no I'll I'll, I'll keep it easy I'll, I'll, the, the most recent uh, fun moment for me uh, maybe that maybe that keeps it easier than going all the way back through thirty years of role playing um, just in the Apocalypse World game on Wednesday uh, our savvy head um, who's like the tinkerer uh, mechanic type in the in the game the smart um, person who understands technology and stuff um, he's uh, looking up at this burning oil rig um, and the other two characters are thinking about rushing headlong into the pitch black smoke to try to rescue survivors. Cause that's sort of what they do. Um, and the savvy head decides to read the situation. Uh, I want to look for a better way in than these two idiots, like running up a staircase into the pitch black smoke. That seems bad to me. I want to find, want to find a better way in. Hmm. Uh, and the player rolls and gets a miss. They rolled a six or less, which is a miss in Apocalypse World. Um, and that means you still get to ask a question and find out something about the situation, but then the GM makes a hard move that you pick from your list of GM moves to like throw a, a wrench into the situation. Uh, and the player of the savvy head chooses the question, what's the best way in uh, past the fire and stuff? And so I get to say, oh, yeah, there's an old construction elevator off to the side here. Um, it hasn't been used in decades since the apocalypse, probably. It's all crusted over with sea salt. And um, it's that, that type of construction grade thing where you like plug a car battery into it to make it go. But it doesn't have a battery in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it but if it worked, it would go on the outside of the rig kind of away from where the smoke is. Uh, so that's, that's a good way in. Um, and then for the GM move, I look down my list and I see uh, offer them an opportunity with a cost. So then I get to invent this fact, uh, which is, hey, you know, your workspace with all your precious aquariums and your science projects and everything that runs on a car battery. So, you know, you could just unplug it and plug it into this elevator and then you can get up there. Do you want to do that? <laughs> 
And it's just, it's so satisfying in those moments to have the perfect thing that a game can just hand you on a silver platter. You know, the, the way the system works with Savvy Head asking that question and then missing and then needing a, a solution that's, that had a cost. Um, and everything that they are and everything they do is, is a, has to do with technology and the scarcity of old world stuff. So, yeah, it was it was this great dovetailing of things. And then the savvy head Cullen uh, jumps in with both feet uh, and is is the type of player that isn't going to be too precious and too uh, risk averse. And mm, no, I can't and I won't. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, the player is excited about the risk and danger and then plays the savvy head Cullen as being morose and sullen about the whole thing and pulling <laughs> their battery out and being angry. But the player goes in, plugs it in, and mm-hmm. goes off into adventure and danger and fun. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that just happened uh, on Wednesday. But I think that's that's that that is the template for a great gaming moment in my mind is the game system giving you something to work with, and then the players just having that uh, uh, attitude of embracing what's happening and not trying to like bat everything away and and resist the the friction um but instead just put their heads down and they're like yeah let's go mm-hmm. um, it's very satisfying when those things come together yeah being able to embrace kind of the the adversity side of of uh rpgs where you know the the dice and the gm giveth and the dice and the gm taketh away is the sign of a good player and just kind of knowing what they're in for and and being there for that and along for that ride is definitely uh yeah. Well, just to hit another uh, beat there, that in that same session, we had um, uh, one of the people in chat here playing the uh, the angel, and that character is a real real jerk um, and treats people badly and, and doesn't do well with like connecting to others. Mm-hmm. And often, that can be another thing that's really hard to do in a game group, where if, if someone's character is acting like a jerk, like it's kind of like them acting like a jerk to everybody at the table, and you're kind of like, "Come on, why are you being such a dick?" Um, and we had a we had a really successful navigation of that, mostly because uh, the player was like, "Hey, I'm gonna be an asshole to all of you now." My character is, and like, if that's not cool with you, and that's gonna bum everyone out, like, I don't need to do that. We could fade to black, or we could just do a different scene or something. And they were like, "No, no, no, yeah, go ahead. You you can be a dick to us." <laughs> Uh, in, in character and will respond in character and like be pissed at you and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the real world people are all like enjoying that instead of it being this kind of awkward, like someone is causing social friction at the table. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was another good example of that. Mm-hmm. The, the times I've had like really awesome, like role play, like pure character stuff at the table mm-hmm. almost always has come from that kind of, two channel operation where the characters are doing this and we the people are like looking at each other and going like yeah okay all right is this good all right yeah good super fun and that plays that way absolutely well speaking of social friction we have you know these great memories with great people because we share the table with all kinds of people some of them end up being you know our best friends in the whole world but some of them we just don't quite click with. And then there are some 
who behave very badly. And the worst of these, there's this term that we have of that guy. So, John, if you have a that guy story that you're comfortable sharing <laughs> on the show, hold forth and, and give us your that guy story. I do. I have one. I mean, I have a lot, but uh, they're just going to be kind of a bummer uh, to talk about because, uh, you know, well, I, I will say that over time, um, the curation of the game group itself has become a skill set that I've taken very seriously. And mm -hmm. I don't really have those experiences anymore um, because of that process of yeah. sort of vetting who you play. I think everyone goes through that process. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, Ron Edwards had a great analogy years ago, the game designer, about um, putting a band together. Like, uh, if you most bands fall apart because of that friction stuff, personality stuff. Um, and over time, if you're someone who's like a, a working musician, like you start to get a feel for like how you're going to suss that out and, and get a group of people together that's going to actually make music. Mm -hmm. um, and back then, anyway, that wasn't something people talked about a lot. Um, with role-playing it was kind of like well i play with the everyone i know who's willing to play role-playing games basically yeah. <laughs> uh and that's not really true anymore now that there's just an infinite sea of of options um for people to play with so you can you can be very selective and mm -hmm. fortunately for me i've not had that guy stories in a long time but uh the very first con i went to um in lexington in, in kentucky this must have been like Oh, I don't know the year, uh, 89 or something, maybe. Um, and we signed up for the Call of Cthulhu game. And the game master had a stack of index cards, like like a really big stack of these like blue index cards. Um, and we sat down to play and we realized that this game was all the entire thing was written out ahead of time on these index cards, like a choose your own adventure book. Hmm. And we all tried to role play and get into it and like talking character and whatever. And he would just turn over the next card and read what it said. Hmm. And then we tried to do this and that. And we tried to like, okay, cool. Now that we know that, like maybe we could go back to the library and he would just like flip and go to the next card. And it became <laughs> obvious we were trapped. We could quit the session and just walk away, which we almost did. Um, and that would probably would have been a good decision. I might do that today. But instead, we we're like, how far is this really going to go? Is this guy really just going to ignore us and turn over cards and read them? How, mm -hmm. how far can we push it? Uh, so we stayed and played out the session. And that's, that's what happened. We just went on this, this on-rails tr track. And some cards had A, B decisions we could make to go to the next one or whatever. Uh, it was baffling. And he took it extremely seriously. <laughs> uh, and we ended up trapped on the moon by a portal that spell that went bad or something <laughs> um but yeah I, I always think of that that person i either as like a really bad sort of that guy example or or someone who like figured out a way to play role-playing games the way they wanted to do it <laughs> they were <laughs> like i this is how i want to do it i want it to be this really specific thing and if you'll show up and you go through my cards great if you don't forget it mm -hmm. uh so I don't know. It's always stood out in my head. Like I've never seen anyone else do that. Maybe maybe he's still doing that and running games. People are enjoying them. But it was it was a stark message of okay, 
no matter no matter how bad some GMs have gotten, no one has ever like literally ignored everything we said. <laughs> mm. Yeah, for for anyone who ever complains about a module, uh, at least <laughs> modules give you some some leeway there. This guy, yeah. oh my god, he was that, committed. He was yeah. fully committed. Yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well. John, we've got our last of these introductory questions here. This is another one that has flummoxed a lot of people. Uh, the answer to this question can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. But if you could put anything on a T-shirt, what would it be? <laughs> wow. Uh, I've made a lot of T-shirts. That's tough. Um, geez. I, I think... God, that is a tough question. So there, I, I have an Here's my answer. Um, I made one uh, for our Blades in the Dark group um, when the game was coming out, when it was on Kickstarter and, and just after, um, actually for years after, I ran a game on YouTube with a steady group of players. And a sort of catchphrase came out of that group. Uh, and we were like, that would be a cool t-shirt. We should make that t-shirt. So I did, uh, and the shirt says, talk shit, roll crits. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, that's how the game worked. They just kept continuously talked shit to everyone and got in way over their heads and then just bailed themselves out by hitting, like, 2% rolls and over and over. Mm -hmm. So made the shirt, put it up. Some people bought it. All the players got one, and some other people, yada, yada, yada. Years later, I'm like, oh, yeah, I should re revive that design, like, put it on a, a new a, the new storefront or whatever. And I go to it and I discovered that, and I guess this happens all the time, but I hadn't been paying attention to the to the digital storefronts. Someone had gone in, copied the design, and then copyright claimed mine <laughs> as 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 if I was ripping them off. And the store doesn't really do any checking and they mm -hmm. like flagged mine and shut the page down. And you're like, you can't sell this. This is a copy. And I'm like, this what? Somebody copied it and then flagged mine. <laughs> So yeah, it's become this like thing now where I haven't even like put it into the new storefront now because it's like the the band the band shirt talk mm -hmm. shit roll crits no one you can't have it anymore if you own one it's like it's like a rare item. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, so. Gorn sir in the chat has uh, has made their presence known. So hello, thank you for uh, for tuning in here. Uh, so now that we're through these introductory questions, we should, of course, get to the, uh, the topic at hand here, that being, of course, uh, Blades in the Dark. So I guess to begin, if you had to give like your elevator pitch for, you know, what is it that, you know, Blades in the Dark is about? What is it that's going to, you know, bring someone in? What would that be? Uh, Blades in the Dark is an industrial fantasy role-playing game uh, where you play a crew of scoundrels on the haunted streets of a city and you pull scores uh, to raise your crew's reputation and power in the underworld and try to uh, elevate your status among your fellow criminals. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And uh, what's cool, what's cool about it. One thing that's cool about it is mm -hmm. um, the crew has its own character sheet and is kind of the main character so to speak uh that persists through play hmm. and uh it has a really quick and and clean 
a system for skipping over lots of planning and immediately starting a heist with no discussion necessary. Mm -hmm. uh, and then fixing the kind of planning issues through flashbacks and uh, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Yeah, that is something that is absolutely critical to a game like this because one thing that always comes up is inevitable anytime you have any kind of city-based campaign in any RPG, someone wants to pull off a heist. Yep. And when you as the GM go, all right, we're going to go ahead and, you know, if you guys want to do a heist, let's do a heist. You inevitably have two to two and a half sessions, maybe even a full three sessions of just what are we going to do? And it becomes three hours of people arguing back and forth about, well, I've got this and that this means that I can do this or that. And someone's like, well, that's not going to work. Or what if we try it this way? And you've got the fighter over there stacking their dice up because it doesn't matter what, what they do in that situation. So having a mechanic that takes that kind of off the table and says, all right, we're going in and as it goes, you know, we can kind of account for planning. That is a stroke of brilliance. Yeah, it, it was required, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, like you said, um, games that, that start to head into that direction always want to do the heist, and they pretty much always get bogged down by the planning. So it was kind of a, a top-level um, design spec item. Like, if, I, if we're going to make a game about this, it has to solve this problem. If it doesn't solve this problem, there's no point in making it. Mm -hmm. uh, so it it took lots of play and iteration to find the right amount of you know how how sim simple that fix was versus more nuanced or or, or in more engaging mechanically mm -hmm. um took a while to kind of dial that in um and other games have have flashback mechanics we didn't like create flashback mechanics but uh they're a staple of the genre especially in film heists it's like the main thing is is the, the flashback that you see that solves that problem. Mm -hmm. um, so it was the obvious way to go, and, and turned out to be a good good way. Um, but yeah, that that from day one was if we're if we're doing scores, heists, whatever, we need a way to skip, like for the characters to have done the planning off screen, <laughs> essentially, mm -hmm. uh, and we as players just pick two things from a list, uh, which which encapsulates that planning that was done mm -hmm. and then boom you're kicking the door down or you're repelling through the skylight or you're paying off the guard at the canal lock or whatever mm -hmm. whatever we just need to do that first thing that you that you're doing on camera mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's funny because when i think of blades now like i in the pitch i always say that as as a feature of the game i think it's an important feature of the game mm -hmm. but because it does kind of take away that aspect the planning and the tedium of that mm -hmm. i don't when i think of blades in the dark i don't usually think of it because it's kind of gone yeah <laughs> i just like oh yeah and blades you like have sword fights and jump off of rooftops and summon a ghost and um i always have to remind myself like no talk about the the flashback heist thing people care about that because mm -hmm. it just doesn't happen when you play it's easy to forget um, yeah. because it's invisible mm -hmm. And the other thing that I really have to applaud you on, because it's an, it, it's an endlessly fascinating environment for roleplay, but the, the industrial fantasy setting, uh, as you described it there, uh, just kind of that 
vaguely fantasy, vaguely steampunk, uh, early Victorian type time period is one that I feel like really does not get enough attention, but is ripe for a role-playing game because you've got so many different options of... You know, if you've got someone who wants to, you know, be a sword fighter, they can still be a sword fighter. If you've got someone who wants to explore, you know, those those early black powder weapons, you've got that option as well. It It's kind of a, a broad setting that allows for a lot of different things. And there's a lot of different interesting social dynamics happening in that time period as well. Yeah. And so there's. That... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Oh, just there's tons of opportunity for role playing and adventure hooks and and different ways to get players involved, especially in an urban setting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the I'm a huge fan of Thief, the video game series, mm-hmm. um, and it does that kind of pseudo industrial fantasy extremely well, um, making it a plot point. Even that kind of mechanization, industrialization is is a a force and then sort of nature the druidic kind of background is a force and they're coming into conflict and mm-hmm. um blades doesn't do that exactly but i do think industrialization is really a key uh shift um from from medieval concepts that are often or renaissance stuff that's in fantasy mm-hmm. and uh, we read the jungle uh, uh sinclair's um uh, book in high school and it really stayed with me that it's just such a horrifying picture of of early industrialization that um and and socially too like you were saying i think it, it games like this can go a bunch of different ways but i i like the sort of leverage the tv show leverage mm-hmm. kind of model where we can really root for these scoundrels because they're the people that they prey on are just bad really very bad yeah and we don't feel bad. We're not like, oh, these these assholes are like stealing from people and stuff. They suck. Like, you you want to see those targets get taken down. Um, and when you have that kind of robber baron uh, setting, um, this where everything is so corrupt and so um, in, institutionalized. All, all of the things have become these institutionalized pressures. Uh, hmm from the p- police being just like this thuggish uh, militia kind of that serves the interests of the rich. Um, what a concept. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, but tied to that with this sort of ideas of prosperity, that's, that's, it requires workers, requires laborers um, and the kind of using up and spitting out of labor. Uh, it, it's just ripe for that, for someone to, to be a scoundrel and to be breaking the law and doing crimes because there's a system in place where if you don't do that, if you just play your role in that system, you never get anywhere and you just get ground down and destroyed by it. So Hmm. it's, it's heroic to be a thief in the setting uh, instead of just stealing people's stuff you know yeah <laughs> it, it re- recontextualizes it into something that's a little more um uh enjoyable hmm. gotcha now now kind of taking things all the way back to even before uh you know the the game started and the the you know the kickstarter campaign and all that where did this uh idea come from i know you mentioned thief as a major inspiration but did was this born out of 
other role-playing games that you were running or was this just kind of a gap in the market that you saw and thought you know we need a game like this um it was kind of both i was running a I, I, at my old workplace, um, a bunch of people were excited about the idea of role-playing games. And um, I'm not sure exactly. It might have been towards the beginning of when Critical Role was getting off the ground. But some, somehow they had heard about this and were like, hey, John, you, you do that stuff. Like, make that, do that thing. We want to we do that thing. So we started with, like, classic Tom Mulvey basic D&D box set stuff. And did dungeons and um, messed around with keep on the borderlands a little bit and some other stuff, some classics like that. And it was this big group of people. We just meet after work and like whoever showed up would play. And uh, characters came and went, died, retired, whatever. Sure enough, uh, they ended up in a city. And sure enough, they got entangled with the thieves guild and killed their leadership and took over the reins of power. And you know, we we did that urban city fantasy city thing uh and we did have our planning sessions which were annoying <laughs> uh but the major subplot of that series was one of our wizards coming into friction with the demon contingent in that setting magic wizards did magic by sort of like using demons as uh some sort of magical labor force kind of thing mm -hmm. so it came to a head and we had this sort of epic showdown that destroyed the gates of death deep in the underworld of our setting and freed all the dead spirits from the past to ravage the earth and it was kind of this apocalyptic cataclysm event and so uh i sent out an email to the everyone who wasn't there that night was like hey um the people who showed up destroyed the world um next our next session is on friday do you want to play during the cataclysm when all the ghosts are freed and and ravaging the world or do you want to go forward a thousand years into some new world that has survived that mm -hmm. uh and we'll see what that's like and they were like thousand years yeah that sounds awesome let's do that so i wrote up a little sketch of what that world was and i'm like it's a thousand years let's have like trains and things and like kind of jump forward in the in the timeline and create some technology that keeps ghosts at bay and stuff because that'll be important mm -hmm. um and that was the initial sketch of the of the blades in the dark setting and they played these ghost ghostbusters basically that rode the train network and like kept oh. ghosts off the train with these lightning hooks and um it's kind of blue collar um job kind of thing mm -hmm. um and then um, the new thief was coming out, the much touted um, Thief two th 2013, maybe yeah. I forget when it came out. So around there, hmm. um, I was super excited about it. Love that franchise, and it was all in my head. And I was thinking about Thief all the time. Some other game designer friends of mine were making thiefy games. Will Hindmarch made made Project Dark, and. Um, we were just like it was on our brain and then that game was kind of disappointing and so it lit a fire under everybody to like oh i could do that i could i could make something that's mm. I, I want my thief game i didn't get it so i want i want it mm. um and that kick really like kicked the group into playtesting seriously and starting to build the, the core of what turned into the blades gotcha um yeah so yeah thanks thanks mm. to D D and players that were willing to destroy the world 
uh, <laughs> it, it, it led to the setting and then the game. It was about two years of sort of internal playtesting um, to, to build the core of what Blades was when the Kickstarter hmm. launched. Gotcha. And, and lest we kind of leave this out, you're not just in this, uh, in this particular game dealing with uh, kind of you know, Dickensian cut purses, as it were. There is an occult element. There, there's some weirdness going on in this, uh, this city of uh, Doskval. Uh, so, yeah. so get into that a little bit. What, what's kind of the, the fantasy or, or the, the occult layer to this particular uh, setting that we have here? kind of two two parts there's the ghost problem um if you want to think of it as sort of victorian spiritualism but real um there there's a there are actual ghosts people's ghosts leave their bodies after they die um and there's a thing called the ghost field which is sort of this other world that's nestled closely to the real world that you can see if you have the sight that that kind of um, pseudo psychic kind of ideas, but the problem is that ghosts are bad. Uh, they can survive for brief periods of time at, at, and retain some of them themselves. But the the longer a ghost exists, the more um, angry and dangerous it becomes. It becomes a sort of petty force of taking vengeance on every slight from its life, and then ultimately losing even that and becoming this sort of um, raw, dangerous power. So there's a group of people called the Spirit Wardens that are tasked with finding bodies in the city. They have they have these magical crows that can like seek out a dead body and, and dispose of it before the, an angry ghost appears. Um, but there are people called Whispers who can pluck spirits out of the ghost field and use them to do magical effects, channel energy and uh, see remote things and communicate with spirits and do that kind of stuff so there's that side of the occult the sort of ghostly spiritual world is one part of the setting and then there's the ancient uh world of demons and and in in role-playing terms what we call like magic like sorcery mm-hmm. um and that co- sort of fills the space of the um alistair crowley magic kind of ideas oh yeah or ancient egyptian um, ideas about magic that became popular again in Victorian times. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is this kind of ancient world, pre-cataclysm world, where demons really did exist, and there really were ancient gods, and there really were sorcerers, uh, and and dragons and stuff like that. Uh, but that's all way, way in the past and forgotten. But all the demons are still alive. They're trapped and chained in, in various ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to go that path, you can explore the magical side by trying to contact ancient demons or creating a cult to raise a dead god out of the sea and do that kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, and all of that's connected the human world the ghost world the demon world are all there's a kind of cycle of being happening there but um in the setting itself the demonic and magical stuff people don't take it very seriously it's just sort of fairy tales and books but everybody has had a awkward encounter with an angry ghost when they walked home from the pub one night so that that's a like factual part of the setting that is a little more grounded and there's a bunch of science uh, about spirits and, and um ghost energy and that kind of thing mm-hmm. gotcha tree lamp is excited about crowley <laughs> <laughs> yeah what a geez 
that that guy he had a lot of weird ideas <laughs> oh yeah did crowley actual projection project with francis bacon i don't <laughs> i don't think so but this, this uh, i think you're probably making a, a joke uh and that would that's hilarious uh and yes they probably should have <laughs> also also when it comes to people talking about crowley even though I'm more familiar with Alistair Crowley than I am with the uh, the supernatural character, because of who I went to high school with, I'm always just like, "Are you talking about the actual Crowley? Or are you trying to <laughs> are you trying to trap me in your supernatural web again?" I I, I enjoyed Supernatural, uh, but I've only watched a few seasons, so that's not my go to. But yes, also <laughs> that that character too. Uh. <laughs> so. When it comes to actually, you know, embodying your character in in the game, you've got a couple different archetypes to choose from. So, you know, when it comes to, you know, the cutter, the hound, the leech, the lurk, the slide, the spider, or the whisper, what do all those kind of vaguely translate to as far as, uh, you know, archetypes that, that, you're, that you can play? The cutter is, is the, the fighter type. Uh, the thug, the heavy, the muscle. Um, but in Blades, they also embody uh, sort of leadership mm-hmm. and um, commanding other people to do stuff without violence necessarily, just being like an imposing figure. They can be intimidating or they can be inspiring. Uh, uh, so they have a lot of tools for violence, but they also have a lot of tools for not doing violence. Um, and uh of note in Blades, your playbook choice uh, gives you some starting stuff, um, but it doesn't constrain you. Like everyone can multi-class, so to speak. The main thing it does is it, it tells you how you get ex- XP, how you earn experience points. And so the cutter earns experience when they solve problems with violence or by showing leadership and um, imposing their will on, on others. Uh, then the hound is the the shooter uh, character, the, which is also the scout and, and hunter. So they're good at tracking people down, um, doing the the sniper job uh, kind of thing. If you if you want to play that role, they also are good with sort of like pets and familiars. So if you're the type of person who wants your cool ghost crow that that is your is your pet, that's the hound's thing too. Um, the lurk is the classic burglar. Uh, second story operator um, thief Um, but they also have some supernatural components where they can step sideways into the ghost field to dodge blows and um, that that sort of thing so they're they they can be having a cult tinge to them if you if you want to go that way Um, Hmm. the leech is the physiker healer tinkerer Um, if you want to invent stuff you want to craft your own alchemical substances poisons bombs um build a flamethrower or whatever um the leech is good for that or you can play more of a doctor type role uh, and uh heal the team and and set their broken bones and stuff um the leech has a power where they can become immune to a certain poison and then excrete it from their body to use as a weapon everybody loves that one uh the uh where are we leech lurk cutter hound uh slide is the um confidence artist the the trickster uh smooth talker Uh, they have a lot of social abilities and um, 
they can uh, confuse people with disguises and alternate identities. They can, uh, they have a little bit of mesmerism, um, hip, hip, no, hypnotic voice and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they can talk to ghosts uh, using that if they want. They can kind of be like a way for a, a feral ghost to retain some part of their humanity. The slide can kind of draw that out of them if you want to play more of a magical slide. Mm-hmm. Uh, the spider is the mastermind, um, the character who is most effective when sort of helping everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're good at giving everyone else bonuses um, in downtime and in planning. They have all kinds of effective things where they can sort of boost the team. Um, oh, I, t- I planned for that long ago. This is a culmination of two years of my efforts and they can suddenly just like drop this kind of uh, super planning power. Um, and they're also really good from prison. Prison is kind of a thing in the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've heard several stories of spiders that just take the fall, uh, <laughs> take the rap for the team and reduce all their heat and go to prison and keep playing at the spider from prison and like manipulating everything from behind bars. So that's a way to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the whisper is the occult character um, starting out mostly with sort of ghostly allies you're able to to summon up a local ghost from the ghost field and um gain information from them or use them as a as a ally in combat um and also because the ghost field is electrical in nature whispers can uh do that sort of thing they can channel electrical energy through their body um create storms and lightning and that sort of stuff Mm-hmm. Uh, did I miss anyone? I think I got everybody. Yeah, I think, I think that's I think everyone. So. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> actual factual, if the uh, if the slide has whiskey, then I would like to uh, hook up with the slide because I am I'm dry right now. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What are we What are we drinking tonight, Ryan? What's your What's your choice? Let's see. I had some Buffalo Trace bourbon. Oh, excellent! Nice. I am drinking uh, Laphroaig uh, Scotch. Nice. But nice. I'm, a, I'm also a bourbon guy. I'm from Kentucky. What can you do? Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm close enough to Kentucky right now that it, we, we get some pretty good bourbon around here. True, true. Although I got to say, I've gotten onto Tennessee whiskey recently. Like for some reason, I, it was never a go-to for me, but I discovered thanks to one of our local bartenders, uh, Uncle Nearest uh, Tennessee whiskey, which is like exceptional. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, highly recommend that if you can, if you can get it. Gotcha. Yeah, around here, uh, as far as Tennessee whiskeys go, there's there's two that I really like. Uh, one is from uh, Chattanooga Whiskey. They've got a really good uh, bourbon that that's it's it's not quite to Kentucky, but it's up there. It's nice. it's it's really good. And then they there's also uh, Nelson's Greenbrier, which is made here in Nashville, where I am, and it that's that's good stuff. Cool. I will add those to the list. Mm-hmm. I'm always looking for for new stuff. Gotcha. So, as you said before, you know when it comes to playing, you aren't just worrying about your own character's skin. You also have the faction to worry about because you know your your group's status within the city is very important. So, mechanically, how does that end up playing out? Yeah, it serves that purpose. There's a kind of laddering up uh, in the first in the underworld. And then if you want, you can kind of expand outward from there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Peaky Blinders, the TV show on oh, Netflix, yeah. is a, mm-hmm. a great example of how a like bookie operation with one room kind of grows to being something else. No, no spoilers, but mm-hmm. uh, it's it, it, that's kind of part of what you do in Blades. You you can grow in in sort of power in the world and status and reputation and effectiveness. Um, but the kind of the real reason for the crews to exist is for all the players to get on the same page together yeah. for what we're trying to do. Because um, without a crew sheet, you know, what, what, what do we do? Are we, what, are we taking assassination jobs this week? Are we smuggling stuff? Are we, what are we doing? And we have to continuously kind of talk about that as a group. Um, but if instead, when we start, we pick smugglers, then we can do whatever we want. Uh, it's not like we can only smuggle stuff for our scores, but it does mean that as a group, we've decided this is, that sounds cool to us. Everyone has looked each other in the eye and said, yeah, smugglers, that sounds awesome. Or someone went, nah, I don't want to do that. Let's pick something else. Hmm. Um, it, it helps sort of uh, jumpstart the game series um, instead of an infinite array of different criminal operations you could pick from. You pick smugglers, great. You have a client, they have this contraband, they got to move it through this dangerous area, go. Um, And of course, as you play, things sprawl out and relationships change and goals and priorities change. But it it really is a kind of first session, first five sessions maybe, um, tool to really get, just get the action going as much as you can from we pick smugglers to we have this job that we want to do cut to the chase, make the engagement roll, first scene, score complete, get paid, move on, bang, 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 everything, dominoes all mm-hmm. fall, uh, or you fail and you get rounded up and thrown in jail or whatever. Um, but it's it's a focusing mechanism because just like character sheets, the crew sheets give you these very specific things, but you can reach over and borrow from other crew sheets. You can add an assassin ability to your smugglers. You can add a cult ability to your smugglers. So over time, you can kind of let it go wherever it needs to, wherever your interest is is pointing you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, that choice of uh, of crew is is a way to um, get buy in. I guess is a good way to put it for all the players. Um, what are you excited about? Yeah, and one of the interesting things, you know, one of the archetypes that you have here for a crew is that you guys can full-on be just a cult, which I think is super interesting, just a, a criminal cult to kind of yeah. you know, couch your, your playing in. Just at the end of the day, we, you know, adhere to the certain religious order or we believe in the certain thing, and that's what's driving us. That That could make for some really interesting sessions. Cults are really cool. I think it's it's very telling. Like some groups are like, well, why would you play anything except cults? <laughs> you know, they're just they're just it's so obvious to them that it's the best. <laughs> and then other people are like, I don't understand. That's dumb. Um, but it, it's it, it from a certain point of view, it's it's the setting. The the crews are the setting. It, it, they tell you th- this is what is illegal to pursue, um, and any kind of religious freedom that isn't there's a sort of state sanctioned church in the setting mm-hmm. uh and anything that isn't that is automatically criminalized so if you if you aren't doing that and that's your that's the thing you care about the most you're a cult 
And if you want people to have access to goods uh, that the state system has decided they shouldn't have access to, you're smugglers and so on and so forth. There's Mm -hmm. it's they're tropey criminal things. It's fun to be Han Solo and be a smuggler. But also each of those tells you something about the setting and and, um, the way people aren't normally free. uh, So this crew steps in and and like does it uh, on their behalf. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Now, getting away from the the internals of the game here and and getting into some of the publishing, uh, you initially kind of put this out independently via Kickstarter. Is that correct? Yep, it was uh, initially just my own independent uh, publishing efforts. Um, I had done that before and um, published a bunch of games in various ways. And I intended to do the same with Blades. Um, But that didn't, uh, that's not how it worked out. (laughs) Uh, Fortunately, very fortunately, um, the Kickstarter really did, it exploded way more than I thought it would like way a lot way 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 more mm-hmm. um and i i gotta be honest like i was dreading it a little bit i was like wow fulfilling this is going to be really challenging um but I'll, at the same time you know the kickstarter was very successful so i was like well i i, I had already kind of quit my day job years before uh but i i was like well i can really double down now like this is going to be a huge rock to roll up that hill but I, I got nothing else to do so i'm gonna i'm gonna roll up my sleeves and and get it done and uh, yeah my friend sean nittner um is uh someone who who's who's one of the main people at evil hat productions and i've known fred hicks uh the co-founder of, of evil hat for a long long time um in the gaming world and just just as friends and and also sean uh, is a very close friend of mine um, and he just reached out like i didn't i didn't say anything um he just reached out and was like hey are you feeling a little overwhelmed by this <laughs> I'm like yeah it's like we we can help you uh and so we had a great conversation where we just were all on the same page and we all wanted it to succeed in the same ways and uh between you know, a 15 minute call basically just um, set that up for it to become an evil hat published product. And I'm so glad that happened. It's everything about the game is massively better because of that. Um, Primarily because of Sean's work as sort of the uh, developmental editor and then Karen 12's work as the textual editor of the game. Um, They just carried that product on their backs and made it better and better and better through all their efforts Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah Yeah, and evil hat is a company that i have a great affinity for uh for the sole reason that they possess the license to my favorite uh fantasy series of all time that being of course the dresden files so it's it's cool that you are uh hooked in with that that ecosystem there and you were able to kind of you know parlay this uh successful kickstarter into a partnership with a uh you know company as ubiquitous as evil hat yeah it's been great and then once we decided to do the srd and the kind of open it up to other to other creators um 
they they stepped up again and said like we're very interested in publishing forged in the dark games and we're actively soliciting people to come in and make new products under that banner and publish them and uh off guard games like immediately they were already working on stuff as kickstarter stretch goals hmm. which were you know promised to be a 16 page pdf or whatever but they were like no 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 no. we're gonna make entire standalone products out of these and uh they made scum and villainy and and band of blades hmm. um i think scum and villainy came out the the gen con after blades and then band came out the gen con after that so it's just been this like steady set of um producing cool stuff and then there's many other awesome forge in the dark games that are built on the the system of blades in the dark uh and take it in all these different directions um from cyberpunk to uh rural crime families like justified style or yeah. or or breaking bad kind of stuff um girl by moonlight which is is coming out from evil hat uh uh magical girls uh kind of sailor moon-esque um action is uh, a, a new one on the horizon and it's 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 just really cool that they were not just stepping in to really help me personally to, to get this thing out into the world but also um, we're interested in continuing to create new relationships with new designers and new voices and perspectives. Hmm. It's been so exciting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been trying to get Strauss on the show uh, since like I started this thing, Josh, Josh Unruh was actually like, Hey, you need, you need to have Strauss on the show. So you guys can talk about a uh, you know, band of blades. Cause he's been wanting to run band of blades for a while. Uh, so yeah. Strauss, I still yeah. want to have you on the show. Uh, <laughs> Maybe it'll happen. Absolutely. Yeah, Strauss and John L. both are are fantastic. Uh, I I I love them. They're 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 good friends and also mm -hmm. just great designers. And um, in the first playtest of Band of Blades, uh, my rookie died in the first scene. I think. <laughs> um, so I just knew that game was going to be great right then. <laughs> it was so perfect as the the like war movie uh rpg it's so it's so good hmm. so when it comes to available products right now you basically have the uh just the the one book is that correct uh for blades in the dark yes yeah um yeah yeah, yeah. uh it is it is a standalone everything in one book kind of game mm -hmm. um there are there are things you know happening behind the scenes uh we'll see which of those gets prominence first, but um, there, there, there will be more stuff for Blaze in the Dark. Um, on the website right now, if you go to bladesinthedark.com, there's a resources tab, and almost everything from the Kickstarter stretch goals has now been made available to the public. So if you want to get extra stuff for, for Blades, um, that's a place to find it. Uh, the Vigilantes material which which sean nittner wrote um is there uh which is also being revised into something new but you can you can get it there if you want to play a vigilante's crew and blades and a bunch of other stuff um there's just been a ton of awesome content made to support the game and everyone has essentially made it available uh to to the fans so that's that's really cool um and then uh outside of blades Evil Hat, Sean Nittner and I just published Agon, which is our Greek heroes action adventure game. Um, and uh, that, the books are coming out 
they're 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 shipping from texas right now i think <laughs> they're in the in the air somewhere mm -hmm. um so yeah another evil hat collaboration uh which is not related to blades at all but is coming out this this fall now it was supposed to be spring but covid had its way with that all of that so mm -hmm. yeah um, yeah well, what that means for those of you out there who are not already on the uh, the Blades train here, uh, the, the buy-in is super low at this point. You're looking at uh, $30 for the book and PDF combo from Evil Hat's website. So uh, at this point, you know, if you're looking to get in on something like this, uh, like, like we said, there, there's one book right now. So, uh, you know, get in while... Uh, while the getting's good and there's only the the one book and you're not worried about buying four different <laughs> books like you might have to if you want to get into fifth edition at this point it's 70 dollars cheaper than fifth edition i'm yeah. just saying absolutely uh, and and on my itch page it's uh john harper.itch.io um i regularly make community copies available for blades so if you're in a position where you can't buy the book um on a regular basis i put up uh free copies for people who want to want to get it uh for free so um gotcha. follow me on twitter and i i always tweet in advance of when that happens so you can go and uh, grab a copy if you, if you need one mm -hmm. and i know that you know like you said further content for this is it's kind of up in the air at this point what's gonna end up being prioritized but is there I can't any announce anything right now right, i mean yeah. it's yeah there's there's <laughs> things are happening but uh, yeah is there any desire though for essentially what would be a uh like a module for blades in the dark like this is a heist scenario that you could mm. run with your players is, is there any desire for that or yeah yeah uh sean nittner has made a few of these they're on the blades uh website um if you go to that resources section there's um three or four that sean made which are are one-shot heists uh which are really cool they're i think they're just two pages long or something but it it gives you all the information you need to run it and then gives the players a set of questions at the beginning to kind of like customize how they want the, the heist to go or what they're trying to do with it. Mm -hmm. um, and then he has a really cool supplement on the on the website called Broken Spire, uh, where you play a like tier five crew at the end of their the height of their power <laughs> um, as a one shot. You, you can play it as a campaign if you want. Uh, the one-shot rules are really cool, though. Mm -hmm. um, and you are set to kill the Immortal Emperor. That's your that's your desire. Mm -hmm. And so you either play a cult who's doing it for occult reasons, or you play a noble family who's doing it for political reasons, or whatever. You, you choose your flavor mm -hmm. of uh, assassins, and then you have a like really awesome heist uh, against the Immortal Emperor in his throne room, and like try to try to destroy him it's mm -hmm. it's great i i ran it a few months ago and super fun um mm -hmm. but yeah sean sean has developed this kind of great um sort of two-pager uh blades heist thing uh which we host on the site and then other people have made their own versions of that so i think if you just sort of google around for like blades score or something you'll you'll mm -hmm. find some other examples uh, and they're great at one of these days maybe we'll collect them all into a book or something but um Right now, they're more of a community-driven resource to get you going. If you're starting with Blades, I would highly recommend getting uh, Sean's initial like four one-shot scores off the website and using those as your template. Mm -hmm. they're, they're cool. 
Now this uh, this tier five one shot. I'm imagining <laughs> this is the uh, the everyone's kind of gray at the temples, and this is the uh, the apocalyptic one last job. Oh yeah, absolutely. Not everyone's yeah. gonna make it out of this one. Oh, definitely not. Yeah, there's I, I and you get to pick like the the the, the like more the, the you, you can choose to have been working on it for like one generation all the way back to before the cataclysm Mm -hmm. and the longer you pick the more power you get and the more (laughs) at the brink all the characters are they all like have more and more trauma and more and more uh bad stuff like they're all like one job away from death essentially and Mm -hmm. that that's of course the one we picked uh so we got to do the the very very final moments of this this last and it came down to the last roll the difference between rolling a six and rolling a five. It was just, it was so perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, that that is the, uh, that is the cliche that never goes away. And it, in my <laughs> mind, honestly, kind of never gets tired. I, I am a sucker for that grisly one last job type uh, situation there. So that has definitely piqued my interest. Yeah, check out Broken Spire. It's great. Uh I, I'm curious to try the campaign version, which is, it's still like three or four sessions. It's still pretty short. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you do the one shot, it is it does not pull any punches. You have to just sometimes roll the dice and really significant things happen from a single roll that like shapes the world. And it's it's pretty shocking what what's built into that. Awesome. Yeah. Well, John, we are running up against uh, kind of the end of our time here. So what I like to do at the end of every episode is just kind of open it up to the guests to promote anything that's coming up, anything you want to, you know, drop some publicity about. Uh, Go ahead. It is is your floor uh, for the time being here. So uh, any promotion you want to do, go ahead. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I would say Agon first. Uh, My game with Sean Nittner about Greek heroes fighting monsters and being Xena, basically. Um, if you're into that, uh, it, it, that just came out and it's available on my itch uh, page right now as a digital uh, PDF product. Um, and I think maybe the Evil Hat page will go live very soon because the books actually exist now and you should be able to order them through the Evil Hat website uh, if you want the book plus PDF combo thing they do where you get a free PDF with uh, with your physical copy um that game was super fun to make and um is a good starter rpg if you want to introduce people to gaming it's extremely simple to learn and um good for one shots so you could just like run it as a single night for them to try out what role playing is uh very low low commitment um kind of game that was how we designed it uh, for gms also if you're a first time gm we created a a system that's very easy to run so that's its kind of its main deal um i would also promote uh my partner's games um allison arth uh, allison arth.itch.io uh she makes awesome poetry games uh they're role-playing games uh that you play and the artifact of play that you end up with at the end of your session are poems um hmm. it's a strange idea a little intimidating at first to think about writing poetry as a social activity um but then you do it and it's easy and fun and then you have a cool poem after afterwards so uh 
I, I was skeptical and then I played them and they're just super fun and great. So um, there's a there's a series of them that start as a single player exercise to kind of get your feet under you and and understand what the thing is. Then there's two player, three player, four player. Um, uh, the further games have not come out yet, but uh, one and two player games are both out right now. And there's a series coming out. And then if you want, or if you play those and you like them, I would recommend searching itch.io for uh, lyric games, poetry games, single player games. There's a bunch of cool games out there like Plot Armor and Cozy Little Game, uh, Alone Among the Stars. Uh, there's this whole set of creators on itch making cool single player activities that like, um, it's like the role playing uh, cross training kind of thing. Like it's like getting on the elliptical or whatever, you know, you, you build skills, your gamer skills. And mm -hmm. often these single or two player games focus on a particular thing like embodiment or speaking in character or whatever it is and like give you a little like workout to level up your, your skills in that area. So highly recommend searching itch for, for those type of games. And if you have the gigantic itch Black Lives Matter bundle that came out a few months ago um, with thousands and thousands and thousands of games in it, uh, you already have a bunch of those in there. So if you got that bundle, maybe you, you already have uh, Gentleman Bandit, the Highwaymen poetry game by Allison, um, plus a bunch of other stuff. So yeah, uh, Gentleman Bandit is another one that I would definitely recommend. Um, but everything in that movement on itch right now is is really exciting and cool so check out those poetry games hmm. see uh antifinity wants to know if there's a search term for types of games that train your skills mm. i wish there was there isn't a hashtag or anything right now that's like rpg cross training maybe that should be the one uh yeah but yeah, on itch, there's, I think tags, uh, poetry is definitely one that will bring up good results. Um, journaling, I think, or journal game is another tag that gets used. Um, but if it, I, I would head to Gentle, Gentleman Bandit is the name of one, uh, Allison's game, and then Alone Among the Stars, uh, those two will lead you to others in their, in their sphere. Um, I would, I would go like click through and see what their tags are, and then Click on those tags and you'll you'll find stuff but yeah there isn't there's no overriding like rpg workout tag or something right now so i don't know maybe we can get that ball rolling I don't know. <laughs> someone can tweet about it or something <laughs> gotcha yeah allison says writing and journaling are good tags too so yeah hmm. oh and the machine and chat allison just mentioned the machine the machine is so neat that game is awesome hmm. yeah check out the machine I, i'm I, not even gonna spoil it it's it's great it's, I, I saw that, and I just thought that that we were suddenly on a Burt Kreischer kick here, here in chat. But <laughs> no, it's oh yeah, the machine. Oh, it's super cool. Gotcha. All right, well, uh, John, thank you so much for uh, for coming on. You know, once again, ladies and gentlemen, in addition to everything that John just said there, once again, you can get Blades in the Dark through Evil Hat uh, on their website. It's thirty dollars for the book and PDF combo. Uh, it seems like a ton of fun, and I hope that you know sometime soon I get to play or uh, you know run a game of Blades in the Dark. I hope so, uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, next week I know recently 
Uh, we've had several episodes that have just seen, you know, money flying out of your wallets from these Kickstarter campaigns. And, uh, well, we've got another one coming up. I, I, I both love and hate to say it. Uh, maybe I, I love it, my wallet hates it. But we've got this game called Gun and Slinger that is launching on Kickstarter on August 13th. It is created by Nevin Holmes. Uh, they worked on uh, Slayers with Spencer Campbell. They were one of the uh, the you know guest uh, contributors for uh, one of the guest hunts that that Spencer had as a stretch goal. Uh, and they've got their own project that is coming up. So next week we're going to be talking to Nevin about Gun and Slinger. And this game just seems fascinating to me. So that'll definitely be an interesting conversation. And uh, this Saturday on Danishes and Dragons, while we have our breakfast, I'm going to discuss one of the RPGs that I recently acquired, uh, that being the uh, the 5th edition hack for a sci-fi game, Spaceships and Star Worms. So if you're at all interested in sci-fi gaming and how to make that happen within uh, 5th edition's ecosystem, that's what we're talking about this Saturday morning on Danishes and Dragons. Uh, so, John, once again, thank you for joining me. And until next time, guys, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard. And I'll see you next time.